together now at Mark 14, 32 through 36, then Galatians 4, 4 through 7, then Romans 8, 15 through 16. I'll read for us. And once I've completed that reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord after I finish Romans 8, 16. I encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. Let's look now, beginning in Mark 14. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Moving to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. The word of the Lord says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Lastly, let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. Romans chapter 8. Verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In Scripture, we come across many different names that are used to describe God. What I love about that song, He Is, is even as Drew and the band led us, we go through a, a list of some of those names and titles that are given for God throughout Scripture. But only three times in the New Testament do we have reference to anyone referring to God as Abba, Father. And now we've talked about this word Abba many times before, but I just want to rehash this with us for just a brief moment and look specifically at these three passages, the three occurrences of where Abba happens in the New Testament. Abba is Aramaic. Abba is a, a, a very intimate, relational way, familial way to refer to God. And so we see in that very first passage that Jesus himself, Notice all the buildup. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. And so Mark does not waste a single word. Mark's whole mindset as the Spirit leads him and guides him along in writing is he wants this Gospel to be transmissible. He writes it in what's called Koinonia Greek, in very, very plain, simple Greek, so that people can memorize the story of Jesus and pass it on orally. He arranges it very thematically, and he does not waste words. Even more so than the fact that it's hard to come across paper and ink. 
And they did not waste words when they wrote in the first century when the New Testament was being written, especially in the Gospel of Mark. But I want us to take note of the detail that Mark gives us as Jesus is going to pray. Notice what he says. He says in verse 33, he took Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. In great distress and trouble. This is the only time we find the word Abba, Father, on Jesus' lips here in Gethsemane. He says, Abba, Father, in a spiritual struggle within his soul that is filled with distress and trouble. And as if it wasn't enough for us to know he is greatly distressed and troubled. Two clarifiers, extra words for Mark already. Then Mark rehashes the same thing. And as Jesus says to those disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Listen, Mark is one who writes and and had a close relationship with Peter. And so much of what Mark writes is, of course, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's carried along and it is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. But God uses Mark on purpose as Mark has the closest account that we can have to Peter's very first eyewitness account of what actually happened. So when it says that Peter and James and John were there, Peter tells Mark, the Holy Spirit inspires Mark to write this, and he quotes Jesus, knowing that Jesus is going to say, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. He adds the words before that describing greatly distressed and troubled. When does Jesus call out to God and call him Abba? When his soul is greatly distressed and troubled. When he is at the crux of when he will decide, do I go to the cross? He goes to his father and calls him Abba and says, please take this cup from me. I don't want it anymore. If there's any other way, let's find another way. I want us to now note that Paul says we have the same right, the same privilege as Jesus to call God Abba, Father. And we, in our distress, in our trouble, in our strife, in our sorrow, sorrow even unto death. We're talking about depression that is suicidal. That form of emotion rising up in in the pits of our stomach, in our souls, We can cry out to God, not as some formal, distant creator who's some master of the universe who doesn't care about us, who said, let there be, and then sat back and said, now I'm just going to watch and see what happens. No, we can cry out to our Father, to Abba. Now, I think it's a bit too far to maybe say that this is the equivalent to Daddy, but it is definitely much more intimate than just Father, Father in heaven. This is not that we must go to the Lord with these and thous, that we have to go to the Lord and use the language of the King James Bible. We go to the Lord in the pit of despair. We go to the Lord when our souls could not be more troubled. And instead of crying out to somebody who doesn't care about us, who's far away from us, we call out to our dad. Dad, we need you. Hey, I I don't know where I'm going to turn. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen. But I am sorrowful even to death, and I'm crying out to you. That's why we look at the other two occurrences of Abba. Because when we look in Galatians chapter 4, John Piper describes it this way. Now, I I don't necessarily agree with everything John Piper says, but man, he's got Galatians 4 nailed. 
look at it, it sets up three parts. And, and each of these things that he lists, starting in verse 4, that Paul writes, are very away from us. And then Paul brings it home to us in a personal, experiential way. So the first thing that we notice, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So he's describing that Jesus came to our world, took on flesh, that God loved us enough, wants to be our Abba, wants to be our father so intimately that he sent his only begotten son to become flesh, to take on the likeness of you and me, step into the muck and mire of our sin, of our mess, of our selfishness, of our narcissism, of our pride, of our lust, of our lying, of our hatred and our malice and our murder, and to rise above all of that. It is incredible that Jesus would do this. But at the same time, is that very personally felt by you? I mean, I, I, can't, I can't personally feel or experience that Jesus took on flesh for me. I can't personally feel or experience God's personal love for me by the fact that Jesus was incarnated, took on flesh. There was an incarnation of Jesus. He became flesh. I need that to have happened, and that's a wonderful thing, but it's very abstract from me. So, so Paul continues to write. He says, to redeem those who were under the law. So not only was Jesus sent to take on flesh, but he was sent so that he might redeem us. Has anybody ever gotten a coupon that you went to redeem I just erase if you're a coupon person, any, anybody in here a coupon person? Let me tell you what. Some of y'all are secret couponers, and I'm, it's okay. I'm not going to judge you, all right? But I just want you to know when you go up to the cash register and you scan all those coupons and the grocery store ends up owing you money because of all the groceries you got and the coupons that you redeemed, let me tell you, I'm impressed. I don't care if I got to stand in line behind you another 30 minutes. That is impressive. I want you to teach me. I want to learn, all right? Sometimes I feel like coupons are a little bit of a scam. So has anybody ever gotten an Arby's coupon? No? All right, I guess I'm the only one that goes to Arby's. That's okay. No big deal. Maybe your hands hurt this morning. You just don't want to raise and play along. Listen, sometimes you go to Arby's with a coupon, and you use the coupon for a couple of free roast beef sandwiches, and you find out that if you'd have just got the number whatever combo, you'd have spent less money than using the coupon. And I'm going, wait a minute, I thought y'all mailed these coupons out to me. They did, just so that you'd show up. That's not what happens with Jesus. His redemption is not a scam. It's not costing you more if you'd have done it another way. There is no other way. Jesus' blood is the only thing that can purchase our redemption. We cash in our coupon and say, I got Jesus. That blood covers us and we are redeemed. We are saved. Again, that's something that he does and that he did for us that is outside of us. It still hasn't become personal. Then it explains what he was doing in that redemption so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is the legal requirement for us to be adopted. You see, he was sent at the fullness of time under the law to fulfill the law. There were legal requirements. The justice system that God has established in the universe, God being just and fair himself, there was a satisfaction to justice that had to happen. There was a wrath that had to be poured out. If you want to adopt a child today, 
in this day, you have to go through a lot of court proceedings. There's a lot of legal red tape and bureaucracy that you've got to work through to make that adoption happen. And what I want to ask is if you go through all of that and the judge says, this is final, you have adopted this child, does that child immediately at that declaration of that judge feel that love for you just because the judge said now you're adopted? No, that just, that just fulfills the legal requirement. See, as, as a family, you still have to win the heart of that child that you've adopted. You, you see, it's not just about fulfilling a legal requirement. It's not just about Jesus coming at the fullness of time to fulfill the law and be under the law. It is about how Jesus not only fulfills the legal requirement, but then in verse 6, And because we are now sons, because we are now children, because we are daughters and sons of the Most High King, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, giving us the same experience that Jesus had in Gethsemane, that the Spirit of God comes to you, comes to me, that when we say, Lord, we believe in you, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the act of being saved and redeemed, we get the Spirit of God who then cries out in our soul, Abba, Father. You see, there's a popular philosophy that is prominent in society today that says we're all children of God. All of us are God's children. All of us are God's sons and daughters. Man, that sounds nice. And it is so close. But unfortunately, that's not what the Bible teaches. We are not all God's children. We are all God's creation. In Genesis chapter 1, if you want to turn with me, you can. It'll be there on the screen. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Verse 26 As God is creating all that exists, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He created two biological genders. There are Two genders, male and female. Both males and females are created in the image of God. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, if you are a human being, then in your mother's womb, God Almighty knit you together, as Psalm 139 would tell us. That he knit us together in our mother's womb, right? God creates every human being, and every human being is made in the image of God. And men and women both equally bear the image of God, but we're not children till we're adopted. That's how it works. You're created by God, and every human life is special. Every human is created in the image of God in a different way than all the rest of creation. Every human life is precious from before they're born all the way to the tomb. From womb to tomb, every human life is precious and should be defended. And yet, Every human life is not a child of God. You become a child of God when you're adopted into God's family. 
That's the whole reason for God sending his son at the fullness of time. That's the whole reason for fulfilling the legal requirement. That's the whole reason for offering redemption. That's the whole reason that Jesus dies on the cross and suffers and suffocates for hours on the cross until he gives up his spirit. Then they stab him in the side with a spear. Then they throw him in the road tomb. That's the whole reason he had to do that. Then he rises from the dead so that that same experience he had before going to the cross where he cries to God in the pit of despair, in the deepest sense of emotion, he says, Abba, Dad, Father, help, save, deliver, so that you and I can receive that spirit of adoption and you and I can cry out in our distress and say, God, I need you. I am desperate for you. Jesus doesn't do what he does, we can't be adopted. But everybody that's created is created in God's image. But we're not his child until we receive that adoption. And that's what's beautiful about Romans. You may have noticed in Galatians, he said, we receive the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit is crying, Abba, Father. And you might think, okay, well then salvation is completely and totally outside of me. That I have no participation in salvation. Well, let's look at Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 15 and 16. This is still Paul. And as he writes, he says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Much like what we read there in Galatians 4. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we... We cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so this morning, on Father's Day, I want to ask you a very important question. In your spirit, have you cried out with the Holy Spirit, saying, Abba, Father, Jesus, save me? I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what your vice is. I don't care what your struggle is. We've all got struggles. We've all got sin. We've all got vices. And we all need redemption. And this morning, you may be sitting here in this congregation, and you may be thinking to yourself, I am a child of God, but I want to assure you that if you have never cried out in your spirit, Abba, Father, save me. If you've never had that personal experience, we talk about being born again. That's what this process of adoption is. Our spirit crying out with the Holy Spirit, God, Father, Abba, Dad, rescue me, save me, redeem me. I need you. If you've never had that personal encounter where you are desperate for Jesus to come and shake your life up, to come and give you peace, not that you would lose your joy, not that you would be destroyed or killed, but that you might have life and have it abundant, have it to the fullest that anyone could have, joy that is untouchable and unspeakable, a contentment that can never be shaken by this world. The only way to have it is to be adopted, and the only way to be adopted is to be born again by crying out from your spirit, Abba, Father. Have you ever done that? Are you sitting here this morning just banking on the fact that you're a child of God and that everything's okay, but you've never cried, Abba? You think back to when you were a kid, maybe you had a great dad, and your dad was the epitome of all that you needed in life, and you ran up to him and you said, pick me up, I want to hold you, daddy, that was my favorite thing my kids said, I want to hold you. You know why we lift our hands in worship? I want to hold you, daddy. I want to hold you. 
Won't you hold me? Pick me up. Take me. Abba. Father. Desperate. I need you. Have you ever done that? Or have you just done a really good job of playing church? Have you just done a really good job of faking it? Looking like a Christian? When in truth, the Holy Spirit, nor your spirit, has ever cried out, Dad, save me. Rescue me. I'm desperate for you. This morning, I want to challenge you. If you've been walking with the Lord for years, you've been adopted and born again. When was the last time you called out to him in the same way that Jesus did? From that place of desperation. Where if you don't get Jesus, if you don't get the Holy Spirit, you don't know that you're going to make it. When was that for you? This morning, if you think you're a child of God, but you've never been born again, I want to beg you, I want to urge you, please don't leave this place today without coming down front, taking myself or Philip by the hand, and saying, I I need Jesus. I need to call out, Abba, Father, what what do I do? What do I do? I'm going to pray for us, and while I do, I want to beg of you, please pray in your heart that the Spirit might move, and that as we have one more song, a song of invitation, a time to respond, that you might respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Please, Father, help us. May your spirit come into this place and cry out with our spirit, Abba, Father, that we might recognize our desperate need for you. Lord, would you bless us with your presence? Would you help us, Lord, and give us the boldness and courage to respond in obedience? Lord, whether that means coming down and requesting to join the church, coming down to trust in you for the very first time, just coming to these steps to pray, turning around in our seat, making our seat an altar and praying right there where we are, Lord. God, I just pray that your spirit would move among us and that we might respond to you and honor you today as our Abba, Father. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing? Would you respond as the spirit moves? my strength. He is my friend.